Hello and welcome to the Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson. The Local Leaders Podcast provides a platform for successful business owners to share their stories, their experiences, their advice, and their ideas in order to help our listeners achieve more success in their business and in their lives. Get ready. Another great show is coming up. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. It's Jeff Johnson, your host of the Local Leaders Podcast, and uh, we are super stoked today to be able to bring to you um, some new friends we've just made, Ivan uh, Gilsilva. Uh, welcome to the show, along with Rachel Jenkins. Jenkins, Sorry, I was going to mess up the easy one. Rachel Jenkins. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. How are you? Hey, we are, we are great. Their, their restaurant, uh, for all our listeners, is me, Empanada. Uh, and I think I got me empanada right, right there. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just rock and roll with it. Uh, but we're so excited to have you guys uh, on the podcast today. And um, I want to just kind of start by um, uh, now that I thank you for being here, but is to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us a little bit about me empanada and and what it's all about. Um, and I'll tell our audience this is a, a restaurant that started March 2020. Um, so there's some inherent challenges there and some backstories that uh, I'm sure we'll talk about, but tell us a little about, about what you're all about and, uh, kind of, uh, what makes you guys unique and, uh, then we'll deal with all the challenges of starting it during COVID. Well, to start off where we are the first empanada house in Pittsburgh, you will find empanada houses all the way all in the East coast and West coast, all the way down to Florida. Obviously, uh, we are an Argentinian restaurant. That's where I'm from. Uh, I took a lot of the recipes that uh, I saw growing up from my mom, my grandmother, and just my culture in general. Uh, and it, it just clicked with uh, people moving into the city of Pittsburgh because we're starting to become a technology hub. And it brought around a lot of people from cities where this food is very common. Uh, I think that that was part of it. I'd always been making empanadas, but it was, uh, it was really the, 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 the changes that came with the times. Uh, allowed me to do something that really plugged in with the culture and the people that were here at the time coming in. Like uh, I'd say, I wouldn't have done this 10 years ago, but five years ago, I, you know, yes. And we were doing pop-ups for the most part before we opened up a brick and mortar. Uh, But we were basically about uh, bringing and sharing culture, which is the food from Argentina. And, you know, and it, it was also a side hustle from the other things that we did. It sort of just took off and took over our other jobs and it became our, our main source of income. But yeah, to, just in a nutshell, it's um, just an Argentine, Argentinian restaurant, specialized in empanadas. We have a couple of other Argentinian cuisines, but we plan on expanding as we, as we grow. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about expanding and, and maybe trying to expand, expand your menu as a way to grow. Um, and, you know, now it's tough to do that with the, the food shortages and things that we have. So you've got to be really, um, um, specific and particular about making those choices, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. just just did that. We uh, released a sa- an arugula salad with milanesa, which is uh, you know the milanesa is our, our country fried chicken or a fried chicken. It's a thinly sliced chicken uh, patted down, uh, you know, in, a, in an egg wash with some breading, typical. Uh, but you know, when you have that at dinner, whatever's left over becomes a sandwich the next day, or you put it in a salad. And to what we realized is we, we want to have 
the least amount of uh, waste, waste, food waste is a big thing for us. We don't want to deal with plastic. Sometimes we don't have an option. We try to buy uh, the biodegradable uh, bioplastics that they have out there. But uh, with the food increase, we deal with a lot of meat. It's starting to eat food. And the cost of meat has gone two to three times. You mean the food shortage? No, no, no. The cost of, of, of meat has gone two to three times higher. Not the shortage yet because I can still buy it. Right. But it's just very expensive compared to shortage, where it's like sometimes I, I can't get arugula. Now that's a shortage. I can't get it. I have to put spinach or tell them that I can't fulfill the sandwich the way we normally make it. Um, but things have gotten a little better recently. I still go to the, to the restaurant depot, which is near us, or even uh, the other services that we have for food. And I can't get certain, certain items. But for the items that are there that we still get that make our flagships, such as our chicken, our beef, and um, our ham and cheese empanadas, uh, the cost has just gone through the roof. And, you know, when I plan the business model, you plan it based on that. And if I'm saying, Hey, I'm spending $4,000 a month in food. Now you're spending eight. If I'm only making $4,000 and splitting that with my partner at the end of the month, which is not very much money for running an operation. Now that money's gone and we're not making money. So now what do we do? We have to keep raising prices and we have to keep adjusting or we have to and come up with menus and get creative with the menu. Get, get creative. So exactly. it's like, if you're, you know, if there is a shortage, well then it's like, okay, well, what, what options do we have available? Um, but it's also been very beneficial to have the small menu that we have. Um, and I recommend that for anyone, like there's no reason to have like a really big menu. It's like keep a core menu. Um, it's easier for your customers to really, you know, it's like they don't have to go through a book. Like you go to Cheesecake Factory and it's just. Oh, yeah. It's like a 10-page <laughs> book you have to read to figure out what to order. So no. then like food waste, food costs are, are already storage higher because space. of it. Storage, like all of it. Just yeah. keep it simple. Now, when we started, we thought we'd be able to adapt. We had 800 square feet when we saw our first brick and mortar. And we're like, wow, this is great. This is better than our kitchen at home, which we're doing that for the most part. Um, and I can say it now because I'm not going to get in trouble. But, you know, and that's one thing I think that, that and, and talk about that. We actually had a meeting with the city of Pittsburgh and the URA and we talked about it. And I said, hey, if it, uh, 95 percent of your businesses opening that are from the ground up, like a mom and pop shop, they're not getting a commissary. You can't afford four hundred, seven hundred dollars in a commissary when you're only making six, seven or a thousand dollars starting off. Mm -hmm. So you're cooking from home. Uh, and there should be an option for like a grace period where you can't cook from home. Someone can inspect maybe your home kitchen, but we were cooking from our house and, you know, we had to keep it clean. Uh, we had to store everything in our fridges. It, it was it kind of sucked. You know, our, our house was basically a little commissary mm -hmm. and then going into a bigger kitchen was like, wow, I have 800 square feet, 400 square feet is for my kitchen. We're going to have all these fridges. As soon as we hit a month, I, we packed everything. I had to start putting stuff. You ever go to a pizza shop? They got the tomato cans in the front hanging out like in a pallet. Already <laughs> yeah. go, you know, yeah. it sort of turned into that. So I made a little bodega looking thing or a little stand where it looks like we're like selling the stuff. But you know, I said, my polenta's there. My sauce is there. My canned stuff is there. My condensed milk. You can see it when you come in. So you see the ingredients we use, which is nice. I kind of like that because you can see we use really wholesome ingredients. But it's also a thing of space. Uh, you know, we just don't have the, the space to do the things that we want to do. So we have a lot of ideas with the menus that we want to make. But like she said, you have to get creative with what you got. What's the space? Where can we fit there? What do we already have there to make something new? And when it comes to 
the food costs, well, sometimes, you know, I got to a point where I was like, we can't even do a lamb empanada anymore. I am paying $10 a pound and the cost of making it, the cost of, and, and we use real lamb leg. It just doesn't make sense. I'm like, if it goes any higher, I got to take it out. I mean, one, one thing that we were doing too with like the food costs is that we were very adamant about like paying attention to what was going on in the news. Like yeah. it was, it was like a daily thing that we were watching every single day. Cause we were trying to be, stay ahead of the curve if we could. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, we're checking news articles, like, um, just seeing what they're saying, like kind of around and. And, and like, to be honest, like being as updated as we were really helped us out in the long run too, because we would be like, okay, like this is, I kind of think this is going to happen. Let's prepare I had, for it. I had people in California that were working with the, the farms in California and they would warn, well, I would talk to them and they would like, Ivan, listen, this is happening in California right now. In two weeks, you're going to be experiencing this. So I'd have to go to the supermarket and buy as much meat as I could or whatever product as I could. And sure enough, two weeks later would come, my chicken was damn near double, you know, mm. or, or any produce was just doubling up. Um, and, and like she said, I it got to a point where like, I had to watch the news from every angle to see where it was going. And to the point where like, at this point, it's kind of equalized where we are in inflation, inflation is happening every day and you just adjust. But when things started happening, uh, we had to know, how we were going to pivot, take an item out, or just raise the prices, and what we did, or was, add something new or that something wasn't new. being as like affected, you know, because like it's it it was almost beneficial. Um, I mean, you know, being vegan or vegetarian is is, is very popular. Um, yeah. and it's so like it was almost like in our favor that it was like, oh well, let's just make half of our menu vegan yeah. and advertise it as such and and like promote that and then also save so it was just kind of like a win-win with that but so so you did you did kind of go with that half half and half model with half vegan half uh not only where we're at it's also I mean, we are in a neighborhood that's uh it's it's full of vegans when we used to do pop-ups throughout the city uh you can see you know you can see the general area if you have a pos system it will tell you that people use the credit card and it's going to give you their zip code it's going to be like there's people from this area they're buying your food and we could see that uh we would sell a lot of uh vegan items in the neighborhood where we ended up going in to, certain zip codes. in certain zip codes yeah so when we went in there we had the food being vegetarian and we went and re-engineered some of the food to be fully vegan yeah. in order to cater to not only that crowd but it's you know at the end of the day it's cheaper to make vegan food than it is going to be to deal with uh, meat it had, it had multiple benefits yeah. to it. Yeah. And that was part of adjusting. That was part yeah. of saying, hey, listen, I'm going full vegan and I'm protecting myself by doing that. The vegetables are not necessarily going to go up that much more. And they did go up, but not as bad as meat did. Chicken and like she said, uh, promoting these vegan items uh, has been good because if I'm selling more vegan items, that's fine. I don't have a problem. If you like it, that's great. But it's also helping the bottom line for us. And in a place here, like in Pittsburgh, where there's a handful of vegan restaurants, it it, it can help you stick out. So, you know, for other yeah. places as well, that it's like if you offer that and advertise that, like pe those people will see you. And now you're just having a more inclusive customer base rather than leaving some people out. And you have vegan culture. You have vegan um handles and followers and, and influencers uh we get a, we got a sticker on our door from a place 
that is for vegans in the city that mm. basically gives an okay, this is a vegan friendly restaurant. I want that in my restaurant. I mm. want people to know that they can come to my I restaurant. I want it to be like, we just want it to be all inclusive, you know? Like, I, I don't want to leave people out. Like, why would I have But we, you know, it's an Argentine restaurant. We are meat based. Well, yeah. you know? It's meat. Well, go, you ever, if you ever go to dinner, to, she'll tell you. Yeah. She gets upset when she goes to my parents' house for any dinner because she's like, your, your parents are just going to make a bunch of meats. <laughs> okay. And with a side of meat, and I'm like, well, that's an Argentinian family. That's Argentinian Yeah, Thanksgiving. The meat for the side of meat, huh? Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, well, that's why we call it. it's Argentine American, right? Yeah. So we well we changed it a little. Yeah, because in Argentina, the there's no the, such thing as a vegetarian. The 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 word vegan wasn't part of my vocabulary, and I don't know if it existed when I was there <laughs> 20 years ago. I know when I went back only two years ago that there's such a thing as vegans yoga is a thing over there but uh that wasn't a thing me growing up so me growing up the idea of someone that only eats vegetables was uh, unseen unheard of uncanny <laughs> yeah I, I i can imagine i'm the same way i grew up on uh, you know over here in the south it's a it, you go out for lunch or whatever and, and get the plate lunch it's a meat and two vegetables but yeah. i guess in uh in, in your culture it'd be a meat plus two meats yeah. Yes, <laughs> like a, a maybe a couple of veggies there, uh, but like they're was, just sprinkled on it there was for decoration. Saddest salad. <laughs> it was a sad salad <laughs> at the table. It would be a little bowl, pretty much the size of my hand, with chopped lettuce, a yellow onion, nothing else, vinegar and oil. If you need to dress it, forget ranch, blue cheese, and then they would bring a plate like as big as the screen can do right now. And it would be like you'd have a uh, sausage, ribs, every part of the cow cooked up with some toasted bread. And that was just pretty much all day, every day. And if you look at an Instagram from any of my friends or an Argentine, not like an influencer Instagram, but just like a, a, a Schmo, Joe Schmo from Argentina. Yeah. You know how we take pictures of our, our food here? It's just pictures of meat, raw meat and cooked meat. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so fun. She's like, well, they, they'll put like raw meat and pictures of it. Like, wow, that's great. It looks delicious. It's not appetizing. That is, that is it. Well, I learned something new today. I learned a little something I didn't know and uh, glad to do it. And hopefully our listeners will, will do the same and, uh, uh, you know, have an opportunity to learn about different cultures and different, different ways that we approach food and, and the fact that you guys you know were able to kind of shift your business toward that vegan side uh is important because you're working in a small space and um you know every item that you make and that's on your menu has got to be highly profitable because yeah. you can only make so much yeah no we you know i think that a saving grace was and we used to argue about this i said we're going to make polenta i said no one wants polenta i was like they don't know they want polenta but we're going to do polenta and we're going to do spanish rice and the reason why is because I thought, hey, these sides are going to bring the biggest bang for the buck because it's a side. It's easy to make. Think about it. An empanada, you have to fold it by hand right now. As far as we do them, we do them all by hand. We make the dough by hand. It's, it's, it's a labor of love. But when it comes to the sides, they're much easier to make. A polenta is basically like a cornmeal. Uh, and we had everything set up in a way where like making the sides would create the biggest margin of profit. But unfortunately, I'm not selling sides, you know, but I know that I have sides that are not going to cost me money. So if there's yeah. waste on the sides or if we have extra left at the end of the night, we can put them in a container on what we call a yesterday's cooler. Well, that was really, sort of a discount that was beneficial. It was like, it's kind of just like balancing your menu, right? Because you're going to have like, I mean, the empanadas are bread and butter, but you know, some of the meat ones, like we're not profiting as much as, you know, some of the veggie ones. But then when you're able to offer some of these other things, it's like, 
it's almost all they're making profit. up they're making it's the making profit difference you know so. that's another thing it's like it was good to balance the menu because we way. were we were talking about hey do we raise the price of the chicken and i said no let's go make that money from a different item bring that money in from a different promote a different item that's going to balance out the, co the cost loss in a sense because it was definitely a struggle too um i mean when we first got into this as well i mean i ivan kind of gave a little backstory but before we opened up our shop we were um like it was a very much like pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of thing like right. we started as a joke um where like we can make a couple extra bucks we were selling like cold empanadas on someone's boat somewhere and then it turned and then it turned into like oh this can be lucrative you know three four years down the road we we opened up our own shop but um wait i'm so sorry i forgot what i was saying with that what were we just talking about? yeah you were just giving the backstory a little bit about backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know we start no we started when we started it was for friends and parties and then one of my friends was doing a boat party he said they had a kitchen in the in the in the boat you know we're gonna lock ivan up in there he's gonna make empanadas for us and then my buddy looked at me he's like you actually want to bring empanadas and i was oh, like yeah. yes because i was already making them for my friends when they would show up at my house yeah what i was and, thinking you know we was... made a little bit of money and and that kind of turned into this you you see how you can work a business out of it and the developing of the business into, whoa, where, into whoa. where we're at right now that was a lot of fun it's, it's and that's the part of it. we were very creative in creating this business which eventually i don't have i didn't have vegan options or, you know? but like with the pricing as well is what i was remembering is that we you know we came into this like i was saying is we are very we're very um conscious of like the cost of our product to the customer like number one you know we're bringing in something that's like culturally different here it's like some people still don't know what an empanada is and and like that's the fun of it is that we can educate people you know it's like this is what our food is um it's approachable I just tell them it's like a Spanish calzone or whatever. It's like or, every country kind of yeah. has their own. And <laughs> yeah, but it's um, but one way of doing that is if you're going to be bringing in like a new type of product to a place is to like have it at least be um, uh, economically approachable, like price wise. Right. And visible. Um, also, I wanted people to see it. So when you come to a restaurant, you see a glass case. What you see is what you buy. Uh, you say, I want that. You can grab it. It's really fast. You cook so, them. Yeah. And as you, as you, as, as they come out of the oven, they get sold. But yeah, that was like just one of the struggles that we were dealing with too. Like I said, it was like, okay, how do we continue to make this a, like affordable for our, for our customers? You know, I don't want to come into a neighborhood and it's a we $7. Could, we couldn't open like up in any neighborhood, even, mm -hmm. even at the rate and the price that we have right now, I could not be opening up at every neighborhood and say it's $4 an empanada when you can go to Wendy's and you can get a 444 and you have a whole meal. Unfortunately, it is more expensive and we had to choose the, the we had to choose where we were going to be at because it wouldn't work otherwise. That I mean, as much thing. as you don't want to say it, it's like as a small place, we still have to compete with these like large fast food companies. So yeah. it's like, what are you doing differently? But then also, can you still be on par with their prices? Because if, you know, as, like when everyone thinks of fast food, they still think it's cheap. It's not actually that cheap, but Anymore, they still yeah. they still no, think it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a ten spot. You know, if you go to McDonald's or Burger King or that, we just said that yeah. the other day. It's literally like ten bucks for a meal anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. And a meal for us would be twelve. So, so it's like, not that much more. So how do we become like you know? We we always joke it's like we're quick food, not fast food. Like, yeah, you can get the product really quickly, but, you know. But don't use the word fast food. I hate using that for a place that has fast service because the idea of fast food is cheap food. 
And so, like I said, it is quick food. And I always say it's the most American food that Americans don't know about. You got the cheeseburger, that's great. But an empanada is as easy as one, two, three. It's already cooked. It's already contained in the pocket. Grab a napkin, grab the empanada, walk away, eat it in the car. It's super easy. <laughs> it's very American. And, I, and, I, and I, yeah. yeah, it's very American for lifestyle. And I think that they are, there's going to be a wave. And we are pioneering with our social media uh, and everything that we do, even being with you right now, is part of a mission is to bring about empanada culture. We are sure that eventually we won't be the only empanada house in the city of Pittsburgh. But for now, we are. And, and we're not afraid. Or North, We were talking about North Carolina yeah. and Charlotte, possibly because it's beautiful down there. Yeah. And we're like, well, if we, because I want to go to Florida and open up one. And she's <laughs> like, it's too hot over there. And I'm like, well, it's too cold right here. So it's like, we'll meet in the middle and you're there. So <laughs> you might see us there. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it looks awesome. It, it you know, it reminds me of, um, you know, a lot of the um, Hispanic culture restaurants, you know, that focus on tamales or focus on, you know, tacos or, or what have you. And, um, you know, it looks amazing. The price point looks great to me. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to have some. And, and I want to ask you this too, because I was looking at the website. So I got two questions. One, uh, the take and bake. Mm-hmm. How, when did that come about? Was that a ri- part of the original plan or did you add that in? And, and how is that part of the business going in terms of, of sales? Is it a big piece of it or small piece? Or what? We used to sell them at the pop-up. People would ask so them. It was, them it, was, it was kind of like a happy accident, yeah. right? It was like, well, we just had these uncooked ones and then it just kind of like. They were like, can we take some uncooked? It just and we dawned like, on us. Yeah. Like, why, I don't have to cook it for you and you're going to buy it at the same price. Absolutely. Obviously they're cheaper. But at the time that we were doing it, people would pay full price for an uncooked one. And we saw as, you know, it's like cutting costs. I don't have to cook it. I don't have to pay someone to cook it. They're already dumb, frozen. Take them, take them with you. Plus, it also gives you a good experience at home. I remember going to Costco and buying these little treats frozen that I would just put in my oven, Hispanic does or like a uh, little quiche. And you cook them in your home and, and they come out of the oven hot. You, you cook them for uh, hors d'oeuvres for a little part of your house. And I was like, wow, there is a market for this. There's a market for people taking the food and saying, hey, I cooked this. They might know it's me empanada. They might say it's me empanada or not. I tell them, tell them it's your empanada. So whatever. It's not me <laughs> empanada. It's your empanada. And you, know, you can cook it at home and you can have the experience of getting a hot empanada out of your own oven. Instead of buying it, uh, it travels to your house. It might sit there before people eat it. You got to reheat it. Take them frozen. Cook them at your own leisure and have the experience of a hot empanada. I mean, that was one approach that we really took to um, the business as well, is that like when new things come along, we're very open to it. You know, we like to listen to our staff and things like that. So the take and bake being one of those, you know, like little happy accidents, when we realized that the product that we have could be frozen, it really opened up a whole new avenue of things. Um, You know, it opens us up to potentially shipping them across, you know, like state lines if we needed to or just with even within the local area we could ship Mm -hmm. them um it opens us up to just distribution which is pretty big if i want to get them you know in a store somewhere um and then also just that experience of like the take and bake like it is like the market that it opened that up to okay now i can open now i can send this to college kids oh you know they just you know college kids just want a quick meal like late night or Something like that here, you've had these frozen empanadas. Pull it out the freezer. That lasts like a month at least. Um, Or for like the family, essentially. Um, It just made it a lot easier. So yeah, once once that kind of happened, 
it's it's that, uh, there was a market there that we didn't on. think about and and, and it, it like it's a happy accident because people asked for it and we saw the market and then realized it was much bigger than the few people people asking so we ended up advertising the take and bake and when we did that we did that in the middle of covid so i remember this we were in the shop that's how everything, it started everything yeah. was down yeah. and people didn't that's they it. wanted to have uh People were buying all the toilet paper. They were buying stuff. Doomsday prep. It was doomsday prep. And what do you need for doomsday prep? Frozen empanadas. You don't want them cooked. So you don't want to leave the house. You don't want to leave the house. You can keep them there for like this. So that was really the big. That's really what made it. Yeah. So I would would say during the height of quarantine is when we saw the most sales. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been fortunate enough that um, we can't advertise them as heavily as I would like to right now because. we're still hand folding. So like, yeah, we can't keep up on them. Um, whenever we have, we're looking for a bigger production facility, eventually that'll be something we push more, but yeah, that was definitely it. It was the quarantine. And, totally and, forgot. and it reminds me also when we, and this goes for everyone starting restaurants or that has restaurants. Uh, I think there's two avenues when you're opening up a business, maybe you're opening up a business for yourself and only yourself and that you're going to be running uh, or you're opening up a business with an exit strategy. When we entered Mi Empanada as a full-on business, we entered with an exit strategy. What that meant was I don't expect to be doing the same thing I'm doing this year, next year, or next year. And actually, eventually, I do want to remove myself and create something that is self-sufficient. We're creating jobs. Ten people have a decent-paying job from the business. Um, And we foster and we mentor that. And we hope to grow it to the point where, like, we're not just doing the restaurant stuff. Because, yes, you can open up a restaurant anywhere. And you serve your local community. But if you want to grow, you have to go out of your community. So that means distribution. That means selling in supermarkets. That means selling to small coffee shops that might want to have empanadas in their freezer to sell to their customers in the afternoon or in the morning. Um, so the, the whole idea that we could freeze them and get a really nice product out of it at the end, because really there's nothing better than making it fresh and throwing it in the oven. That just yeah. isn't anything. Uh, but freezing it and still having a very high quality product really changed the way that we could see operations moving forward. So even going to our second location, we have a walk-in cooler. I want to get a blast freezer and things are going to allow the product to be frozen in higher qualities and distribute, distributed throughout the U.S. even uh, without loss of quality, which actually opens up the avenue to saying, hey, I don't have to stand here and sell this empanada. I sell a bulk to it, someone else. I sell bulk to someone else and they're in charge of selling that empanada. And that's the only way that you can have some sort of an exit strategy or the way that you can have a business that can produce enough content of, or, or enough food to pay higher wages. Because when you have a restaurant, the, the, the cost of running it is really expensive. Paying employees to be there, to move around in a small space, to constantly be changing tasks. If I have a guy folding and he has to go make a sandwich, that time in between, all of it adds up and suddenly you start seeing your revenue go down. Because when I would sit there and fold 400 empanadas by myself in a few hours, then I see the money. When I, if I'm standing and moving around and doing other stuff, you start seeing your money go away. You got to pay that guy by the hour and you got, you're paying him a lot. And now it doesn't make sense. When you have a production facility, which is what we're trying to get, now you're talking about producing high volume, much faster, much more organized, and you're creating a bigger margin to be able to not only grow your operations, but to say, hey, man, I can put you on a salary now. You don't have to work by the hour. You know? And that's the goal is to get everyone that's working with us to be on a salary and then to have these satellite shops that would have 
and I imagine it would be a younger employee work, to say the least. Yeah, sounds sounds like a great plan, and and I like the way you think. You guys are thinking about things, and um, you know the the way you you created basically multiple channels for sales, and um, you know I, I wanted to to also ask uh, in addition to that about. Uh, I know you got a you got a space constraint. That do you do you have indoor seating at, at all, or is it, it purely a, a takeout kind of business? No, so it was takeout, and that ended up working out in regards to like COVID. Yeah, um, perfect. Perfect. Quarantine restrictions, and like we're yeah, also noticing. Well, yeah. So when we move forward, I mean, there's so many things to kind of really that come into play whenever you're opening up a new place. Um, and one thing that we considered that we didn't want to deal with was having a public restroom it just added another level of stress that we didn't want to deal with but we had to have under 10 10 seats so in order to do so you have to have under 10 seats so that's what we did you know we ha we have an 800 square foot space which is pretty small and then like half of that is you know it's our kitchen so it's like and the other half so, is the front and then the front by the windows we have uh stools by the windows and we have tables outside we only hit up eight tables we could have 10 chairs but if we go past the 10 chairs, now we need to offer the bathroom to the public. We didn't want to do that. So there is some seating, but we're we're mostly takeout. People sometimes walk in and get their food and sit and eat. But for the yeah. most part, people are grabbing their food and they're going wherever. And, and that, I think also with with the pandemic that like kind of happened and sprung on us too, it, I, it also taught us that it was something that that's how we kind of want to move forward as well um just being like a fast casual sort of place and that was something that i actually saw a lot of hap like happening in chain restaurants you know like i said we still try to keep up with a lot of the news so like i'm paying attention to what like if you're a small business like i highly recommend just paying attention to what these bigger guys are doing because they have the money to like be ahead of the curve and they're going to set the tone so like, like registers I, like those you know, uh, so like registers where I like go literally in, you should I go just go into pay Panera yourself bread and have they, someone they have a kiosk where you're kiosk, just yeah. doing it yourself and also we just have to pay attention to technology like I don't see cashiers being a job like in the future like 10 15 years it's probably going to go yeah completely gone obviously there's going to be someone managing it a little bit but it's not going to be the whole scanning thing or like someone ringing you up so we try to pay attention to technology and then as far as like fast casual, I, I still think that's like on trend. I'm seeing a lot of new restaurants being built, like big chains being built that are catering to that. I yeah. mean, you look at like Chick-fil-A even. And yeah, like, I couldn't imagine opening up a restaurant right now or this year or next year where I'm going to have any type of sit down, knowing that there's it, still all this stuff going on. We, we realize it was just the, a huge liability. Yeah, it's a huge liability. And also the space, and yeah, the, the square, square space, footage. the square footage, liability. Mm -hmm employees and the fact that eventually you're talking about your waiters are not going to be getting paid the two dollars an hour you're going to have to pay your waiters 15 dollars an hour and then either remove the tips or add tips to that and i just we just don't see it going backwards you know i'm sure there's going to be sit down restaurants they're going to be fancy restaurants but the idea that i would open up a little casual empanada shop and have the 34 tables that we wanted to do we wanted to do that at one point uh it just doesn't make sense yeah, so it's like it make sense. have small seating, make most of your space like kitchen. production condition, yeah. and then kitchen. like kitchen, and then like um, and then have it self seating. You know, off obviously offer the seats, but you know we paid attention to our local laws to see what it was to eliminate the amount of bathrooms. Like I said, it's just a headache. Like obviously for employees, you know, but I don't yeah. want to deal with the public. Um, yeah, no, I understand. It's you know, there's a lot of a lot of options, a lot of choices. Fast casual is. 
has been the trend, you know, from yeah. COVID. And um, you guys, you guys are right there and kind of had the right idea at the right time. So congratulations on that. Well, we some survived. Of it, some of it was like, yeah. We got, we got lucky. No, she's right. We got lucky. I think that for me, I've, this is my second business. For her, it's her first business. So she's just rolling with the punches. For me, I have a little bit of, uh, of hindsight on the things that are going on and how we need to adjust. But, you know, anyone can see where things are going and where you don't want to go. And we adapted. And we're talking about on a daily, weekly basis. We mm-hmm. had to adapt to the prices, to the closures to the seating, to how people behave buying. Like I said, we were selling so much take and bake for the, the first three months. It was crazy. We don't sell anywhere near as much take and bake now. We still offer it and we do good, but uh, you, have to, you have to adapt with the times. And honestly, why would I want to have it? We don't have a dishwasher. Everyone does dishes in a restaurant. And that's very important because the, uh, people have, they think that they're too good to be in a restaurant anymore. So no one wants to be a dishwasher. Good luck finding a dishwasher. That might be the hard. Some people were offering full benefits, $15 an hour for dishwasher, and they couldn't find anyone. I can't imagine what it's like, you know, to have to pay a dishwasher that much. So let alone that guy, no one wants to work in the kitchen because they think they're too good. They're saying they're not getting paid enough. So now you adjust the rates. We adjusted the rates. We're paying beyond livable wages. Um, and I look at other restaurants and I just don't see how financially they can make it work to say yeah. the least. And I think that things are going to have to change. Like you, you're not going to need cashiers in the future, like she said, and you're going to have to find different systems in the kitchen to make sure that the morale of your employees is good because people look at the dishwasher as a low level job. And it really isn't. You're really contributing to the wealth, the, the, the wellness of the kitchen. It's another employee there. And we have to look at how we think of our employees, how we treat our employees, and how we organize our employees in the kitchen, because it's not what it used to be. You can't be screaming at your employees, telling them they're not doing a good job, uh, subordinating them. You have to empower them. You have to pay them well. You got to make sure that they're healthy. You got to talk to them. They come with baggage. They're people. They're human beings who have issues outside of there. And you're their boss and you're providing them a living wage or not, not living, you're providing living in general. And, and it is, it is our responsibility to care for them beyond just saying, here's money, do the job. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that's a, you know, a big challenge in the, the restaurant industry as a whole has always been, um, yeah. you know, how, how front of house, back of house people are, uh, are treated the opportunity that they have to make a, a real living wage. and. Hours. Lack of bit, lack of benefits. You know all the challenges of the industry. COVID's kind of, um, kind of brought all, brought all that stuff to the surface, and you know we lost a lot of people, which contributes to the staffing uh, issues, and and people are demanding more now, and so restaurants are having to change, and um, the way we run them is having to change. So yeah. very good, very good points, and and great. Um, you know, great stories and backgrounds and, and conversation around, you know, everything that you guys have going on and, and what's running through your head. And uh, yeah. I know, I know Ivan's head runs fast. Like he's like, I was going to yeah. say one more thing about that. Oh yeah. So for us, we're very lucky. We have a staff, but um, I got to say that there, our staff mostly consists of at-risk youth. And we've had to mentor them in. I've dealt with at-risk youth in the past, so I am pretty well-versed with that. Uh, I don't think that restaurants or just in general jobs don't want to deal with that. 
You interview a kid and you say, you're not getting hired. For me, I'm like saying, I see potential in you. I'm going to have to put up with a little bit of some issues here, but we're going to work it out. Once you work it out with these kids and you give them opportunities uh, and you empower them, like I said, especially the young ones, they can become the strongest workforce. And I am extremely proud to have these young kids doing the job that an adult will be doing. And to be honest, I think they do it better. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure in a lot of cases, that's, that's the situation. And uh, the fact that you're kind of going outside the, the normal boundaries to look for employees and to give people opportunities uh, is something that, um, that, you know, all of us should, should strive to do more of. So thank you for that. And and thank you. Thank you both for taking time to kind of come on and, and share your story with us today. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and um, for all of our listeners, again, it's me, Empanada, uh, out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I think I forgot to say that to start with, um, you know, where you guys are located. And we're going to have your website up up for everyone at the front end and back end of the, the podcast. And uh you know, if you're handles should be the main thing because that's where we put all the pictures of our delicious food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's exactly right. And and you got a great website, so good job, Rachel. Uh, everything you. looks good. You got online ordering. You know, fast, casual, rock in, rock out. Get a single meal. Get a, a take and bake um, dinner for the family and take it home. Hell, get a meal for yourself at the drive-through and a take and bake for the rest of yeah. the take home. And don't tell anyone you got the you got the empanada uh, the eat in the car. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they do that. Yeah. They always go buy the empanadas, but I'll get two ready ones. Yeah, right now, ready to yep. go. Yeah, that's that's a good plan. So you could double fist those boys going down the road and uh, and then get home and say brought dinner. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, thank you guys so much for being on, and and uh, we really appreciate it. Um, so uh, thank you, and for all our listeners, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. Uh, I'm your host Jeff Johnson, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. You can find us at www.jeffzpodcast.com or jeffzjohnson.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to come back every Monday and Wednesday for our next episode.